I don't know about you, but I, I did some searching in my years of growing up, looking for myself, you know, looking for what, what I needed and what I, where I wanted to go and, and, and where God wanted me to go. But it's kind of neat. I love the way this song tells it because I found out that it was actually kind of back where I started, uh, and that was with Jesus, you know. And so uh, it's neat how God can take your life and, and he brings you back. He lets you, he lets you, uh, you know, do all these things, you know, and then and he's there for you when you come back to, them, back to him. Today we're going to talk a lot about running back to the Father and how he can take a broken life, you know, turn, a, turn the graves into gardens. Will you stand with us and let's sing together. Graves into gardens.
seasons and highways. You're the only one who can. Sing it again. Here we go. You turn praise into gardens. You turn bones into hearts. You turn seasons to highways. You're the only one who So glad that you're here to worship. Great start. Uh, guys, man, I, I'll tell you, when the Lord comes back and I've got that new glorified set of lungs in heaven, I think I'm going to sing like you guys. Woo! And uh, that's going to be great. Um, so, and uh, when I get to heaven, I'll be able to grow a beard like you. Uh, the, <coughs> yeah, yours is, is pretty patchy. It's kind of so, patchy, yeah. yeah. Um, anyway, welcome to First Baptist. We're glad that you're here with us. If you're joining us online, we're glad that you're joining us online. I know today is a rainy day. Some of you had a shower this morning and then a shower coming into the building today as well. <laughs> so we appreciate um, you making the effort to get out here in these uh, torrential downpours and still come and worship with us this morning. If you're a guest with us and this is your first time, you'll see this little white guest registration card uh, there in that pew rack. And if you can take just a few moments to fill that out. It's just a way for us to be able to connect with you and, uh, you know, for us to be able to share with you our newsletter and tell, tell you about the things that are going on in the life of our church and mission trips and opportunities and things that are available to you. And so that's a great uh, way for us to be able to connect with you. And you can uh, give that to our lead pastor after the, the, at the conclusion of the service there at the welcome desk. I'm going to just open us up in prayer and then we'll continue to worship. Father God, we thank you. Uh, just for the chance to be here. And we know that you do mighty things. You turn grave, graves into gardens, um, and you give us new life. You give us new life in you. And so we just want to pause and say thank you because there's nothing better than you. And so thank you for grace. Thank you for salvation. Thank you for forgiveness. Thank you for peace and joy and freedom in you. So this morning, as we, as we gather together, we just pray, God, that you uh, just speak to our hearts. Uh, Lord, we pray for Dr. Cox this morning as he, as he brings the message and as he continues to challenge us through the life of Abraham. And we thank you uh, for your word, and we pray, Lord, that you change us through it. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. We just stand again, and let's sing together. The Savior knelt to wash our feet, now at His feet we bow. The one who wore our sin and shame, now robed in Your name, your name 
come before you this morning just running to you because you are our arms of, of safety. You are the one who cares for us when we need a surgeon. I've carried a burden for too long on my own. I wasn't created to bear it alone. I hear your invitation to let it all go. And I see it now, I'm laying it down, and I know that I need you. I run to the Father, I fall into grace, I'm done with the hiding, no reason to wait. My heart needs a surgeon, my soul needs a friend. So I run to the Father again and again and again and again. Oh, 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 again and again. So my condition had a plan from the start. Son for redemption, the price for my heart. Oh, I don't have a context for that kind of love. I don't understand, I don't comprehend. All I know is I need you. Run to the Father, I fall into grace. I'm done with the hiding, no reason to wait. My heart needs a surgeon, my soul needs a friend. So I run to the Father again and again and again and again.
heart has been in your sight long before my first breath running into your arms is running to life from death and i feel the rush deep in my chest your mercy is calling out just as i am you pull me in and i know i need you now come on i run to the father i fall into grace I'm done with the hiding, no reason to wait. My heart needs a surgeon, my soul needs a friend. So I run to the Father again and again. I run to the Father, I fall into grace. I'm done with the hiding, no reason to wait. My heart found a surgeon. My soul found a friend, so I'll run to the Father again and again and again and again. so many times we run to things where it's funny how we, we choose to run to you last instead of first Lord in those times of need in our lives oh Lord I know you 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 inspired me one day to put a sign on my desk that says have you prayed about it because so many times I just forget I start trying to fix things on my own I start trying to find solutions that come to my human brain when the first thing I should do would be to drop everything and fall to my knees and run to you and say, Lord, I need you. I need your perspective. I need your wisdom. Oh, so Lord, I pray this morning you'll help us to do that first, to run to you because you are the good, good Father who loves us more than anybody else. And so, Lord, we pray this morning we run to you for our for our wisdom, Lord, we pray that you'll inspire us through the word of God this morning as you bring Dr. Cox here to preach your word. I pray it'll open up something in our hearts and our minds that you want to say to us today. We pray all this in your holy, holy name. In Jesus, we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Good morning. It's good to see you today. Good to be with you in worship. In pop culture, trends seem to swing from one extreme to the other. I know in fad diets a few years ago, um, the way to diet was to get rid of all fat. Low fat, no fat, couldn't have any fat, couldn't eat bacon for sure, right? But now, the trend seems to have swung the other way, and uh, it's uh, no carbs, and I talked to somebody who was on a diet and they, and they were eating bacon. They said, oh, I can eat all the bacon I want. And I said, really? He said, yeah, it's just low carbs. And I said, I like that diet that you can eat all the bacon. He said, but I can't, if, but I can't have a bun for my hamburger. I just have to wrap it in lettuce. I said, I don't like that diet. But <laughs> it, so it's sort of, you know, bacon is bad to bacon is good. You know, it sort of swings like that. In men's fashion, I don't know much about women's fashion. I'm not going to go there. But in men's fashion, another example is the width of men's neckties. In the 1960s, when John F. Kennedy was president, look back at photos of that. He had these skinny little ties, just about an inch wide. If you watch Mad Men, I didn't watch Mad Men. But same kind of thing in the 60s, skinny ties. But then by the 1970s, when Jimmy Carter was president, You'll see pictures and the knot on a man's tie is about the size of your fist. And the tie is so wide, you don't even have to wear a shirt under it. You know, it just, <laughs> it just covers everything if you button your coat. So trends just swing from one to the other. 
probably one of my favorite examples of this is in the length of men's basketball shorts. So I want to show you a picture of Larry Bird that I followed when I was growing up. There's, this is what our son's about. There's Larry Bird, and there's his shorts uh, in, when he played for the Celtics. Here next is Patrick Ewing uh, for the Knicks. Man, those are short, just maybe almost too short, don't you think? Maybe, just a little too short. But then the trend swings to the other extreme. Uh, Michael Jordan, uh, others brought this trend in. To Trent, the shorts became, don't you think that's just a little too long? Just, just a little too long. Here's Allen Iverson. It looks like he's got a skirt on. I mean, it's just, they, right, the trends have swung from, and now they're back a little bit, so that both of these look a little bit funny to us today because uh, it's changed a little more. Well, I'm sharing this because there are trends in preaching also. When I was growing up, the trend was to negative preaching. You heard a lot, especially in small towns and real churches, of hellfire, brimstone, damnation, and judgment. That was pretty much the standard diet. And, and people begin to say, you know, too much of that. There's another side. There's the positive benefits of the, of the Christian life. And what do I do after I come out of, uh, out of hell? And how do I live? And so now the trend has swung entirely to the other extreme so that now you almost never hear of hellfire, damnation, brimstone, and judgment. In fact, Joel Osteen, who's the most popular preacher in America today, has said that he would never preach on that, that he'll never preach about anything negative because people have enough negative in their lives, he says, and so we need the positive. So the trend has swung now to what's in favor, what's in style, is totally positive preaching. And we Christians uh, have the stereotype of being judgmental, and so we don't want to add to that stereotype of being judgmental, so we don't ever want to say anything about judgment because of that. And so the, the, the trend now has swung just like the basketball shorts to another extreme. And this is the value of preaching through or you reading through a passage or a book of scripture, not just picking piecemeal, because it'll force you to deal with the whole counsel of God in a balanced approach. And so today, in our study of the life of Abraham, we come to a story of judgment, of brimstone, of fire, and of negativity. It's part of God's revelation. So we're looking for the activity of God, and today we're going to see that God destroys the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. The activity of God is God destroys. Now that may sound a little strange to you in this area where everything is positive, that God only builds up, God only uh, loves and creates. But this is part of the nature of God. I thought about not using the word destroy, use judge or something, but that's the word in the text. We're going to see several times in this chapter, God with the subject, destroying being the verb, God's destroying. In fact, this is the second major destruction of God in the book of Genesis. He destroyed by water, by flood, all animal life in the days of Noah. He, God, part of his nature is a destroying, a judging God. That's what we're going to see today. Open your Bible with me, if you will, to Genesis chapter 19, verse 1. It begins, you can follow also on the screen, the two angels arrived in Sodom. So if you remember, if you were here last week, in chapter 18, three in the appearance of men, came to visit Abraham and Sarah to tell them that a year from now they were going to have a baby in fulfillment of God's promise, even though they were approaching 100 years old. And then the two angels, two of them were angels, they go on and leave. The Lord stays with Abraham, and he reveals to him that I'm about to destroy the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, also Adma and Zeboim. There are four of them, but Sodom and Gomorrah are the two prominent ones that are mentioned the most and he gives Abraham an opportunity to intercede, to pray for them. And Abraham prays, and God agrees not to destroy them if there are ten righteous there. So now the two angels who have departed go on. And it says the two angels arrived at Sodom in the evening. So our whole story in chapters 18 through chapter 19 takes about 18 hours. 
You remember that the angels arrived at noon to visit with the Lord and the two angels arrived at noon to visit with Abraham and Sarah. Then Abraham through the afternoon prayed and interceded. Now about evening, the two angels have arrived in Sodom and Lot was sitting in the gateway of the city. So Abraham's nephew, Lot, lived there. Now let me review the regression of Lot's spiritual life. We saw in chapter 13 that Abraham and Lot, they got so many sheep, so many goats, that their pastures couldn't support it together, and they were going to have to separate. And it says, first of all, that Lot looked toward Sodom. Fertile plain, but with with wicked cities in it. First, he looked toward Sodom. Then it says he pitched his tent near Sodom. Then it says in chapter 14 he's living in Sodom. Remember, he got carried off in the war, and Abraham had to go rescue him because he was living in Sodom. Remember that story? So now he is sitting in the gateway of the city, which is a place of prominence, of leadership. That just doesn't mean you just happen to put a chair in the gateway. That means you're a judge or a a city official or in some place of prominence in the city. That's what that means. So you see his regression? He looked there, he went near there, he's in there, and now he is ingrained in that culture of the city. And that regression can happen in your spiritual life as well. When you look toward Sodom and you get near Sodom and then you're in Sodom and then you become like Sodom. Now God may send you to Sodom. Doesn't mean that God doesn't want you to go to a wicked city to live. God God sent Jonah to Nineveh. He sent Paul to Rome. He may send you to Sodom, but he doesn't intend for you to become like the people of Sodom. So you can embrace all the trends of the culture, but don't embrace the values of the culture. You got it? You can embrace the trends of the culture. You know the mullet is back, don't you? Right? You know that? Watch if you watch baseball, the mullet is back. If you want to get a mullet, great. Ladies, if you want to frazzle out the front of your jeans like everybody else and just have all those white threads showing, just frazzle away, you know? That, that's great to be like, but don't, because, as long as it's modest, just frazzle away. But don't buy into the values of the culture, right? So Lot is here. And it says that in these verses that when these angels arrived, Lot showed them hospitality. He invited them to spend the night with him. They said, no, we're going to stay in the public square. He said, that's probably not a good idea. Don't do that. He insisted they come and spend the night with him. They came and spent the night with him. And before bedtime, all the men of Sodom, both young and old, had come to Lot's house and demanded that these strangers come out for homosexual relationship. Lot tried to protect them. His guests are in his home. He said, no, 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 and uh, Lot made a crazy offer. Lot's moral compass has gotten off in Sodom, okay? Lot says, no, I've got two virgin daughters. Take them instead. That was not a good plan. Now, I don't know. Maybe Lot didn't intend to do that. Maybe he was buying time. Maybe he knew they were not going to accept that offer. I do not know, but regardless, you can't justify that. Lot, he's lost his moral compass by living in Sodom. He offers his daughters. They don't want that offer. They say, no, we'll, we'll rape you if you don't let us in. They're pushing against the door. They're trying to break in. The angels rescue Lot. They pull him back into the house. They blind the men who are around them so that they cannot find the door as they're trying to break into the home. This is an indicator of the moral condition of the city. And so we come to verse 12, and it says, The two men said to Lot, Genesis 19, 12, Do you have anyone else here, sons-in-law, sons or daughters, or anyone else in the city who belongs to you? Get them out of here, because we are going to, here's our word, destroy this place. The outcome cry to the Lord against its people is so great that he has sent us to destroy it. And so God judges sin. He's going to judge them. He's going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Let me say a word here about the sin of homosexuality. It is not trendy today to refer to that as a sin. That is not the trend. That's not in fashion. We have gradually As the trends have changed, we and our culture have changed our attitude toward homosexuality. 
1970 was the first gay pride parade. In 1973, the American Psychiatric Association took homosexuality off the list of mental illnesses. Homosexuality till that time had been considered a mental illness in our society. That's just true. That's what the consideration was. It was taken off that list. And so we have swung with the pendulum so far that by 2015, President Obama was lighting up the White House in the colors of the gay flag. And we come to 2021 when the Equality Act has been passed before Congress, uh, before the House, and is before the Senate, which would not bring equality, as it says, but would force the recognition and employment regardless of sexual orientation, which would, if there's not a religious exemption put in that, will mean that churches have no right to deny employment to people who do not hold the values that we espouse. So we've come a long way, haven't we? And the trend now is not to condemn homosexuality. Let me say to you, the Bible says it's a sin. It's wrong. It's not God's will for you, regardless of what the trend is. But now let me say a word to those of you who may be struggling with same-sex attraction or you have family members or friends who have same-sex attraction. And you've come to this maybe because of uh, the past and you've been rejected by somebody of the opposite sex or you've had a, a, a parent of the opposite sex who's failed you or, or maybe not for those reasons, but you've come to that. I recognize that your feelings are real. Your feelings are real. But you can't trust your feelings. Your feelings are not a good guide for your activity in life. And so your feelings are not infallible. They do not need to be authoritative. The Bible is infallible and the Bible is authoritative. And the Bible says that's wrong. So what you're going to have to do if you're a Christian, I'm uh, I, I don't judge the world that God's got them. But let me say if you're a Christian, you're, if you're a Christ follower, you've either got to subject your feelings to the Bible or you've got to subject the Bible to your feelings, right? You have a feelings of same-sex attraction. The Bible says that's wrong. Either you submit your feelings to the Bible or you submit the Bible to your feelings. If you submit the Bible to your feelings and make your feelings authoritative, you've committed the sin of idolatry because anything that takes place of authority other than God and his word is the sin of idolatry. God loves you. I believe that God can help you change. He can change feelings. But regardless of whether your feelings, you see, regardless of whether my feelings change on any subject or not, I'm still accountable for my actions. I may have a feeling that I just want to kill you, but, if, but I'm accountable for my action. Is it, well, I can't help it. It's just my feeling. No, your feelings are subject to your will, and your will is subject to the Word of God if you're a Christ follower. God loves you, but God will not approve of you living by your feelings as a follower of Jesus Christ. Well, it says in verse 14, so Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-laws who were pledged to marry his daughter. So the, the deal is sort of like Mary and Joseph here. I think it's in that year of betrothal. He's got two daughters. They're virgins, but they're called wives. They've not yet come to their future son-in-laws. And so Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-laws who were pledged to marry his daughters. And he said, hurry, get out of this place because the Lord's about to destroy the city. There is some urgency to God's appeal. See, God is not only a God who destroys, we've seen that, but now we see God's also a God who rescues. At the same time he's destroying, he's rescuing anyone who accept his offer of mercy. Isn't that great? And God gives an offer of mercy in the midst of his judgment and destruction. And here it is. He says, round up anybody who will listen to the word. Noah preached before the flood. Lot's trying to get to them before this destruction. I'm trying to get to you before the second coming of Jesus Christ or before your death. And there's an urgency to it. Hurry, he said. Get out of the place because the Lord is about to what? What's he about to do? There's the, the Lord with our verb, destroy the city. But his sons-in-law thought he was joking. So many in our culture will laugh at the idea that Jesus Christ is going to come, that there's going to be a judgment day, that there is an eternal hell. That, that's a laughable idea in Sodom. It's a laughable idea to some today as well. That does not change the reality. 
So verse 15, with the coming of the dawn, the angels urged Lot, hurry, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, or you will be swept away when the city is punished. When he hesitated, isn't that incredible that we hesitate, that God offers rescue and deliverance and salvation and we hesitate? Maybe you're hesitating today. Isn't that incredible? You read it here and you think, that's incredible. No, and some of us hesitate. So he hesitated. Hmm, it's going to be destroyed in a little bit. Should I get out of here or not? Don't hesitate. When he hesitated, verse 16, the men grasped his hand and the hands of his wife. Oh, the mercy of God. And of his two daughters and led them safely out of the city for the Lord was what? merciful to them. So he's a destroyer, regardless of what the trends say. He is, but he is merciful. And in the midst of his destruction, he'll show mercy to any except his offer of deliverance and salvation. And he, they hesitated and they led them out. He's so merciful. As soon as he'd brought them out, he said to them, flee for your lives. Don't look back. Remember that phrase, okay? Don't look back and don't stop anywhere in the plain. Flee to the mountains or you'll be swept away. In the next verses that I'll summarize for you, Lot whines and say, well, it's too far to go to the mountains. <laughs> he does. And so there were five cities on the plain. You remember that from when, when they had the battle in chapter 14, the four kings in the north, the five, the south. Remember, you got Sodom, Gomorrah, Adma, Zeboim, and Zoar. Zoar, the, the smallest and the farthest, the edge of the plain. And so, so Lot says, how about if I just flee to Zoar? It's closer. I can make that journey okay. And so in his mercy, God says through the angels, okay. You can go to Zoar. We won't destroy it. We'll destroy these four in the central plain. You can go there. And so he and his wife and his two daughters head to Zoar. It says in verse 23, by the time Lot reached Zoar, the sun had risen over the land. Eighteen hours since those, they first came to see Abraham at noon. About twelve hours since they arrived in Sodom. Judgment comes quickly, folks. Comes quickly. Sun had risen over the land, and then the Lord rained down burning sulfur on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. Thus he overthrew those cities and the entire plain, destroying all those living in the cities and also the vegetation in the land. And sure enough, you go to the Dead Sea Valley today, and you will, it, it's hard to see a sprig of grass and certainly not a tree as far as you can see. It's salt flats. Nothing lives there. The sea is dead. No fish in it. It has no outlet. A dead sea. Uh, there is no life there. Vegetation is still there. Of what lot, apparently, in his day, it was a beautiful valley, a well-watered plain. But God has destroyed it and turned it into this. Archaeologists have found evidence of destruction about this time period of such widespread, about a 200 square mile area. You can read an article, if you don't believe me, read Forbes Mag Google Forbes magazine, destruction of uh, Sodom and Gomorrah. And archaeologists, they, they're guessing, or they're supposing in this article, that uh, an asteroid came into the atmosphere, created such a hot air burst against the atmosphere over this area that it completely annihilated life in a 200-square-mile area. I don't know if that theory is right or not. This could have been a supernatural event from God, or he could have used a natural phenomenon for his supernatural purposes, like an asteroid that created an airburst, or like an eruption. Some of this sounds a little bit like a volcano where you have brimstone raining down on you. I have been to Mount St. Helens in our country where uh, that erupted in the 90s, and Every tree is laid in the same direction for miles where that blast of that volcano just leveled every vegetation and scorched the earth for miles around. Maybe God used an asteroid or a volcano, or maybe he supernaturally did this. God can do whatever he wills, but he destroyed the land. It says in verse 26, but Lot's wife looked back and she became a pillar of salt. Now, those who don't believe the Bible will say, okay, they saw a rock formation, 
and that salt, there's a lot of salt formations. It sort of, hey, that sort of looks like a woman, you know, you sort of see her outline there. And they said, oh, they wrote this story to explain the origin of that. That's how they're going to reason backwards. But listen, here is a warning that we'll see that Jesus affirmed. Here's a warning about turning back. Remember in verse 17, he said, don't turn back. I don't think this means that she looked over her shoulder to want to see all that destruction. It means there was a longing there for her, greater than the longing for the rescue, and she turned back, and Jesus said in Luke chapter 9, whoever puts his hand to the plow and turns back is not worthy of service in the kingdom of God. So Christians disagree over whether you can lose your salvation or not. I believe in eternal security. I believe if you're truly born again that you don't lose your salvation. Others would say, no, you can lose your salvation. And there are passages in the Bible you can take different ways. Let me bridge the gap here a little bit. Whether Lot's wife was never saved, which is what I believe, or whether she is saved and lost it, the result's the same. When you turn back, you're not saved. All of us would agree on that. If you turn back, it's evidence that you're not. Now, either she had it and she lost it, or she never had it to begin with, is what I believe. But when you turn back, Jesus is saying this passage is warning us. It's he who perseveres to the end that will be saved. And that's evidence, I believe, of being born again. She turned back, and she was lost. And so that's just Lot and the th- two daughters. Verse 27, early the next morning, Abraham got up. So early the next morning, another time reference, about 18 hours after this whole thing started. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and returned to the place where he'd stood before the Lord, to a mountaintop that looks about 20 miles away from the highlands of Judea, down into the Dead Sea Valley, and he could see, it says, the smoke rising where he had stood and interceded. He looked down, verse 28, toward Sodom and Gomorrah, toward all the land of the plain, and he saw dense smoke rising from the land land like smoke from a furnace so when God here's our word destroyed the cities of the plain he remembered Abraham and he brought Lot out of the catastrophe that overthrew the cities where Lot had lived this story of the destruction of God of Sodom and Gomorrah becomes a template throughout the rest of scripture becomes an example becomes a warning becomes a preview of God's other acts of judgment. And he warns other civilizations with this example that I would do the same to you if you do not repent. Let me just read you a couple of them. There are several in the scripture. Isaiah 13, 19. Babylon, the jewel of kingdoms, the pride and glory of the Babylonians will be overthrown by God like Sodom and Gomorrah. And if we could get into Iraq, you could go today and see the ruins of Babylon covered in sand and have never been rebuilt. God's word came true. And he even said it about Israel, Isaiah 3, 9. Isaiah is talking about his own people of Israel. The look on their faces testifies against them. They parade their sin like Sodom. Wow. You just think about that in regard to our gay pride month and gay parades. They parade their sin like Sodom. They do not hide it. Woe to them. They have brought disaster upon themselves. And Sodom and Gomorrah is not only an example of how other civilizations who act that same way will be destroyed, but it is an example of hell. It is a preview of hell. Jude 1.7 Let me read it to you, Jude verse 7, there's only one chapter in Jude, Jude 7. Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. They serve as an example of those who suffer the punishment of eternal fire. We we have a good idea that, that, that there's a hell because God has shown us within history little examples of that kind of judgment upon people. In Matthew 11, 23 through 24, Jesus spoke to Capernaum, the city which was his adopted home where he made the headquarters of his ministry. And he said, and you, Capernaum, will you be lifted up to the heavens? No, you'll go down to Hades. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Sodom, it would have remained to this day. But I tell you, it'll be more bearable for Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. 
Now, why did he say that? Because they had greater revelation. Greater revelation brings greater accountability. It's going to be worse for the place I lived in and you didn't believe in me than, it, than Sodom, he said. Listen, let me say this to you. You can be forgiven of the sin of homosexuality. It's not the unforgivable sin. You turn to Jesus, you can be forgiven. But the sin of rejecting him, there is no forgiveness. There's nowhere else to go. The blasphemy of the Holy Spirit who testifies to you about the sonship of Jesus Christ and you say no to him as Capernaum did, there's nothing left for you. There is no salvation for that sin. The sin of unbelief in Jesus is greater than the sin of homosexuality. The former can be forgiven, the latter cannot. And so he said to Capernaum, it's going to be worse for you than Sodom. If these angels had done the miracles I've done before you, you have greater revelation. You've met the very Son of God. So if we, who that's us, we live in the day where we've had the revelation of Jesus, we know more than any of these people. We have the full Bible. We have the gospel. And so our accountability is greater. I'll read to you one more passage. One more passage and then we're done. Luke 17, 26 and following is the application of Jesus of these stories. So let's see what Jesus had to say. Did Jesus ever say anything negative? Did Jesus ever say anything about judgment? Let's read it and see. Luke 17, 26. Just as it was in the days of Noah. So we're starting with the first of those acts of destruction in, in Genesis. The earth was destroyed by flood. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the days of the Son of Man. People were eating, drinking, marrying, being given in marriage. Up to the day Noah entered the ark, then the flood came and destroyed them all. Judgment, unexpected, sudden. Verse 28, it was the same in the days of Lot. People were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. So there were people in Sodom, going to get married that day, going to take out a loan that day, uh, closing on a house that day, doing all those things. But the day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. And Jesus says, it will be just like this on the day the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, no one who is on the housetop with possessions inside should go down to get them. Likewise, no one in the field should go back for anything. Remember Lot's wife. That's what Jesus said. Whoever tries to keep their life will lose it. Regardless of the trends, it is still true, God's a destroying God. And he is a God who punishes sin and judges civilizations and one day will judge the world. But he is also a God who in the midst of judgment offers mercy, rescue, refuge to any who will flee destruction, to any who will believe in him, who any who will take him up on the offer He'll pull you by the hand out of hell if you'll let him. That's what he did for Lot. Would you just go with him? Would you just believe with him? Would you receive his offer of rescue? Let's pray together. Oh, God, help us to see your truth fully, completely, not just parts of it. And, oh, God, we tremble before you because you are mighty and holy and just. And, Lord, we are so much like Sodom that we humble ourselves and we ask for mercy upon our civilization. We would say with Abraham, would you spare us if there are ten righteous? Would you just spare us for a minority, a righteous minority among you? God, we're no better than homosexuals, people of Sodom. We're all sinners we are so grateful that you've forgiven us, that you have saved us. And if there's a person here today in this room or watching online who would say that rings true, my feelings are, are all over the map, but I'll put my life on the word of God. I'll accept it. I'll submit to it. I'll believe it. I'll receive Jesus. Then, oh, Lord, I pray you'd work your renewal by the Holy Spirit and give them regeneration, rebirth, and you start forgiveness for all their past, a sense of joy and peace and a home in heaven as their destiny. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing a song of invitation. If today you'd like to embrace Jesus, if you'd like to accept God's offer of forgiveness for your sins, whatever they may be, God loves you and wants to forgive you. 
He sent two angels to, to uh, Sodom. He sent the witness of this church to you. Would you come to him? You can walk forward while we're singing. While we're singing this song, you can meet me here. Decision Council will ask you if you have any questions, pray with you. You can schedule your baptism. If you want to join our church, you can come. If you want to pray about anything in your life, you can come as well. Let's stand together and sing. Father's song 
here this morning just want to direct your attention to a couple of announcements there in the worship guide tomorrow morning there's a women's bible study beginning at 9 30 and so i think it's a yeah it's a 10-week course and so that begins tomorrow morning um, from 9 30 to 11 i know those ladies always enjoy uh, getting together for that so don't miss out on that next friday is a volleyball tournament maybe your uh, connection group as you as you go this next hour into your connection groups you can um you know get some team spirit going, decide on your shirt color, decide on, you know, whether you're going to paint your faces up, what your team name's going to be. Um, get a team together, come participate in the volleyball tournament. It's always a lot of fun and a good time. And so we'd love to have either connection group classes or just groups of people or uh, whatever, come and participate in that. And so that'll be a fun uh, thing. You can see the CDP classes are listed in there as well. And then one last announcement would be about our church picnic today. It's not a great day for a picnic. And uh, we're not going to have a church picnic today. And so the church picnic is canceled. Um, we decided we were either going to float down the Duck River with our chicken strips or we were going to just cancel it. And we decided we better just cancel it. Yeah, we should and have so had a rafting today. That's been... we, we could. That, you know, that's dangerous and high tide too. So um, we're going we're gonna to skip out and, and live another day to, to talk about how we skipped out on the church picnic. So uh, let me close this in prayer. Just as a final reminder, though, that church picnic is canceled. Let's pray. Father God, we do thank you for today and just the reminder of your mercy and your grace uh, in midst of your judgment. And so, Father, um, the reality of each is true. And thank you for the reminder through your word so that it changes the way we live. Uh, God, I pray that you just be with each of us, uh, those who are broken and those who are hurting that we just sang about, uh, those who need your helping hand. Uh, Father, you're gracious and merciful and kind, and so I pray that you uh, give them the desire to reach out uh, and seek help. God, it's in your sense, and we pray. 